Well, good news again. I'm back with you, and uh, we're still continuing in the Epistle to the Hebrews. And let me just remind any of you who may not have uh, watched the previous programs that this is the Apostle Paul writing to Jewish people, Hebrew people, but particularly he's dealing with those who have come to faith in Christ as their living Savior. And yes, we use the term Messianic Jews because they see Jesus as the Messiah. Okay, so the chapter we're up to now is chapter 10. Now, we've dealt with an enormous amount in previous chapters. This one really concentrates only on one major issue. Well, let's have a look. I'm actually going to use, um, just for cross-reference, both the Revised Standard and also the uh, Authorized Version, because just some way, uh, sorry, it's the New International Version and the and the Authorized, simply because there's slight differences that if you're reading, you might find it easier in the New International. Anyway, um, Paul begins, and he's actually following on very much from what he's been saying in the previous two chapters, that Christ came 2,000 years ago. He came as a fulfillment of all the Jewish law. And in himself, he became both high priest and sacrifice. So now, in chapter 10, we open by Paul saying that um, the law, and he's talking here about the Jewish law, the Old Testament law, the law is only a shadow, mm. not reality. <laughs> Maybe this is about strange, but he's saying it's only a shadow of the better things which are coming. So the Old Testament law and the fulfillment of it was only a shadow of what would eventually come in the time of Christ. Christ was the fulfillment. So the law is only a, a brief glimpse and a foretaste. And let's see how Paul really describes it. He says, um, in the new uh, revised version, for in verse, uh, it, we're still in verse 1, actually, uh, for this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. Mm. I think we're dealing with something here that's critical. And as far as I'm concerned, by large sections of the Orthodox Church is misunderstood. Because, you see, in so many church establishments, 
what you have is a repetition. In other words, you come back again and again for confession, for repentance, and for obedience to the law. But what Paul is saying that because the Old Testament law was not reality, this necessity of coming back again and again indicates that the Old Testament law, the Old Testament sacrifices, the Old Testament priesthood was not reality, only a shadow, only a picture of what would eventually come in Christ. And he puts it very strongly in this same first verse. He says, if the sacrifices instituted in the Old Testament, if it were perfect, if it were the final picture, if it were the final demonstration, why is it necessary to constantly repeat it? Hmm. You see, if that Old Testament law, and unfortunately too much church is based on Old Testament law, not new, if that uh, Old Testament, if that dispensation was repeated, if it were, you see, Paul's making an argument, if it were the fulfillment, and I'm using that word here, if it were the fulfillment of the law, once is enough. Paul is making a very strong point here. The fact that it was repeated means it wasn't enough. And so you had to come, you had to come, you had to constantly repent, you had to com uh, constantly confess, you had to constantly come to the priest, because it was only a shadow. And then he goes on, if it was perfect, uh, wouldn't the priest have made the sacrifice and then stopped? You see, even the high priest under the old law went, had to go once every year and make the sacrifice, but it was repeated. Every high priest had to do it. This went on for hundreds of years, as you know. Um, so. He says here, if the worshippers had been cleansed of their sin, then it would not be necessary for this sacrifice to be repeated because he says here, the worshippers would have been cleansed once and for all, would have no longer a guilt for their sin. But the repetition of the sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin, that it's still there. Why? Because, as Paul says, the blood of bulls, of goats, of sheep, cannot actually take away sin. So when Christ came into the world, he says sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but 
you prepared a body for me. So he says, look, all these sacrifices of the Old Testament, all these of the old law, didn't satisfy God. Just look at it. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, you didn't have any pleasure. God didn't have any pleasure. And so in verse 7, we come very clearly to this. It is written, Lo, I come in order to do thy will, O God. So even in the writing of the Old Testament, it is prophesied that the sacrifice that was made by the priest was only looking forward to the time when Jesus would come and fulfill the sacrifice once and for all. So in actual fact, if you put it in a simple way, in the Old Testament, all the priestly offices, the sacrifices, were anticipation that one day Christ would come to fulfill it. Today, it's a looking back at the completed work, which it's now complete, you see. So in verse 8, he's saying, when you said sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, you had no, God had no pleasure in it, but they're only offered because of the law. Then in verse 9, he says, I come to do God's will. And God takes away the first, the shadow, to present the reality. We don't want the shadow. We don't want the imitation. We want the reality. You know, this, this, this can be seen so often in life, isn't it? We get things which are copies of, of, of an original. And in fact, you've got to look on it that the, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament sacrifices for sin were only an imitation, only a copy, not the real object. The real object is Christ. Christ is both high priest and sacrifice. That's what we've dealt with in these past chapters. Jesus Christ came as the sacrifice himself, not sheep and goats, but the blood of Jesus. Yes, he is called the Lamb of God. This is why uh, Jesus is so often referred to as the not only the Son of God, but the Lamb of God, because he replaced the imitation of the Old Testament. So he said, I come to do thy will, and God takes away the old. Now, it's quite strong here in the authorized version in verse 8. He says, um, in, in, in verse 9, he says, I come to do... He takes away the old, that he may establish the second. Do you realize actually what's happening at this point with Paul? Paul is actually saying God took away the old order, the old priesthood, the old sacrifices. God took that away in order to establish the new order, the new law in Christ. 
you know, this is something that we have to really concentrate on because Christ became the fulfillment in himself. He became the fulfillment of the old law. So all the Old Testament, all those <laughs> hundreds of years were only a temporary preparation. When Christ came, all that's finished. Christ has completed the job. No lamb, no goat, no bull could complete it. No priest could complete it. When Christ came, he did it once and for all. The scripture is clear. Christ has died once in the end of time to complete our salvation. Oof. So in verse 10, he sums it up. It's to establish the second offering, the second dispensation, which is Christ, by which we are sanctified by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's finished. It's done. Christ is the sacrifice. He has made that sacrifice. And so it's finished. And in verse 11, every priest standing daily ministering and offering, sometimes the same sacrifices which can't take away sins. No, you see, the, the, under the old law uh, with the priest, the priest cannot take away sin. I mean, if you confess your sin to a priest, he can't forgive that sin. He can't take it away. You have to come back again and again and again because the root cause of it all, which is sin, isn't dealt with. Just through a human priests, through human sacrifices, and by that I mean the, the, the sacrifices of bulls and of goats, doesn't deal with the question of sin. Sin is still there, and therefore you have to come back. But in verse 12, this man, Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down on the right hand of God so that the living sacrifice is Christ, who is in heaven, so God sees not a repetition with earthly priests, he sees his own son, who became the sacrifice, yet rose from the dead and lives in heaven as the witness that Christ has defeated the power of the devil and of sin once and for all. In verse 13, it says, uh, from that time that he expects that his enemies would be put under his feet, made his footstool. So, in other words, from the moment that Christ completed the sacrifice, rose from the dead and entered heaven, from that moment on, his power and in his name will defeat all the powers of the devil, all the evil. And in verse 14, for by one offering, he has made perfect forever those that are sanctified. So now, under the new dispensation, under the new covenant, what Christ has done is very simply, he has made one offering 
which is accepted by God. He's made one offering, and that offering is enough. You see, the danger, and I have to mention this, the danger with the Catholic Mass, when they say, and unfortunately some of it still comes out in the Anglican Church, when they say this is the body and blood of Christ, and they take the bread and the wine, this is the body, and they believe that it, it, it represents the actual body and blood of Christ, that's wrong. That's wrong. Because uh, once the sacrifice has been made by Christ, that offering, that one offering is enough. Christ does not need to die every Sunday. Christ does not have to die every time the Mass is said. Christ has died once. This is the whole thing that Paul is saying to the Jewish people, to you, to me, that Christ has died once. The job is complete. No more sacrifice. So, in he said, it's so clear in verse 14, by one offering, he's made perfect forever those that are sanctified, those that accept, those that come and claim and believe that Christ died for them. Verse 15, therefore the Holy Spirit is a witness because Actually, in verse 15, the Holy Spirit makes a testimony and a witness. And what he says is this, and I'm going back into the NIV. This is what God says. This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. And their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. So the new covenant, and it is a new covenant that God has made in these last days, is that sin uh, will not be remembered again. When we come to Christ, it's gone. You see, I'm sure you know the story of Martin Luther in the Reformation when he was crawling up on his hands and his knees up uh, the steps, I think, of St. Peter's in Rome and confessing his sins as he went up, you know, until suddenly the Holy Spirit struck him with these words, Christ has died once, I don't need to do this. I don't need to do penance all the time. I don't need to be going up these steps all the time. Why? Christ has died once to pay the price and is finished. Oof. But that's what the Holy Spirit is trying to remind us. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit, to be a witness that this is the covenant that God promised he would make. After this time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts, I will write them on their minds, and their sins and lawlessness I will Remember, no more. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> Elsewhere, Paul puts it like this. 
the handwriting of the sins we committed against us is wiped out. It's gone. Blotted out. Blotted out. Uh, I love that expression. Sin is blotted out. Just as if, you, if, if you've got writing in a book and you pour ink over the whole thing, it's blotted out. You can't see it. I always remember a simple illustration of this. And it's a very good illustration because that first time I went to Jerusalem by road, you know, 1961, when I became the first person to go by road from England to Jerusalem, we had to go through Syria. And amongst all the other things, yes, we were warned that in the communist countries we'd be put in prison, but they said, when you get to Syria, they'll kill you. Because if they, they so hate the name of Israel, if they see on your passports that it's valid in Israel, and we also had to have documents for the vehicle in those days, I'm going back a long time, you had to have customs documents and everything. So we had the passports, the customs documents, and so the British government was so aware of this, we had to have two separate passports. I still do have them. Two separate passports, and in one of them, it had blocked out the word Israel, not crossed out, but so totally obliterated that you couldn't see it. And then we had a separate passport which said valid only in Israel, and we had to hide those Israeli ones, and believe me, that was the tricky bit. I'm pretty good at that. I think that's where I first learnt my smuggling techniques because I had to keep with the other guys that were with me. I had to hide all their second passports and conceal them in a way that they wouldn't be found, and they weren't. So what the authorities saw when they put us against the wall in Syria and said, where are you going? We could truthfully say Jerusalem because Jerusalem at that time was in Jordan. And as long as we said Jerusalem and Jordan, we were fine. But it had to be... If, we, if they had seen that writing, Israel, we would have been shot dead. Don't make any mistake. That was it. Now, this is exactly a picture of our sin. When Christ died on the cross, he blotted out. And the Bible is lovely when it says, the handwriting of sin against us, blotted out so that it cannot be seen. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know, I was a sinner once. We were all sinners till we came to Christ. But what Christ has done in making that one of sacrifice, blotted it out so that it doesn't exist anymore. That was the revelation which changed Martin Luther and that's what I'm trying to impress on you. We don't have to come back and confess the same sins. They're gone. They're gone. They're gone forever. Disappeared. Blotted out. Take nouns. That's very interesting because, as you know, with things like modern computers and even modern telephones, um, it's very difficult to obliterate what's on it. <laughs> Once it's on the internet, they say it's, um, it's very difficult to remove it. But with the blood of Christ is blotted out all our sin forever. But what verse 16 Paul is saying 
this was the covenant that God made. And it's very significant that not only that he made the covenant, but that with this, Christ was the fulfillment. And, you know, we've got to, verse 23, hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Verse 35, don't cast away your confidence. We need patience, but we will receive this promise in a short time. Verse 37, for a little while, and that he that is delaying will come back. And verse 38, the just will live by faith. So no longer are we looking at judgment, we're looking at Christ, at the fulfillment, at the completion. And it's absolutely clear uh, of the compassion. It's a fearful thing, verse 31, fearful to fall into the hands of the living God. Uh, verse 30, we know, vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. But all of this is gone. The punishment is gone. We have the new covenant. So in verse 35, don't lose that confidence. We just need to be patient that when we get into the kingdom, we're going to be welcomed in by Christ himself. And we live by faith that what God has done is perfect. I shall continue this next time. My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful promise. When you are committed to and support the gospel, then stand on this promise that when you give to the extension of the kingdom, God will supply all your need. Jesus called it giving and receiving. This year God has given us wonderful opportunities to preach the gospel in Armenia, Georgia and Poland. And we continue to support Ukraine by distributing humanitarian and spiritual aid. For 12 months, our staff have helped the displaced, vulnerable, and injured, supplying food and medicines. To make a donation, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash donation. We would like to give you a free gift. David Hathaway's Prophetic Vision magazine is available free of charge. All you need to do is ask for it. This faith-building resource will show you the path to revival in your life and ministry. To receive this free magazine, visit eurovision.org.uk forward slash magazine. Strength for now and for eternity. David will guide you through the Apostle Paul's letters to the Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. David has written this book to strengthen your faith at a time when everything around us is being shaken. Join David as he delves deep into the truths of the Bible. Order David's book, A Firm Foundation, by visiting our website, eurovision.org.uk forward slash shop.